It's your job to lean into learning and to grow into your confidence to help you overcome the imposter syndrome. Your confidence is contagious and improving your confidence will in turn help those around you to see your competence and clinical ability. You'll know that your clinical abilities, your learner's attitude, and your willingness to get better over time is worth it. The patients you're taking care of today and next week and next year will benefit from that growth and confidence. Everyone at times feels like a fraud. Welcome to the PA is in the show created by PAs for PAs where codependency with your supervising physician is a thing of the past. Optimal team practice is the future and physician associate has taken the place of physician assistant as the professional title of choice. I'm Tracy Bingaman and I'm obsessed with redefining what success as a PA looks like and what it feels like. Here you'll find the mindset shifts, systems, and processes I use to escape healthcare burnout and integrate my work into my life. Work-life balance is a myth and an integrated life where you thrive professionally, not a balancing act, is the goal here. My mission is to help you to grow into a unicorn PA who loves their job, has abundant energy, time to spare, and work-optional financial freedom. The PA is in. The PA is in is supported by Mastering the Medical Industry, a digital course made up of the step-by-step plan you've been searching for to get out of clinical medicine and into industry, even with zero experience, including seven hours of on-demand teaching, plus access to a private Facebook community, live group coaching, and even an option for one-on-one coaching with PA and founder, Rachel Elaine Jurgensen herself. This course covers it all. Head to onepatientatatime.com slash waitlist to save your spot in the next cohort for mastering the medical industry. Welcome back to another episode of The PA Is In. Today, we are talking about imposter syndrome. Ugh. We've all felt it. That feeling that even though you've landed the job, you've nailed the interview, you've reached the goal, but yet you still feel out of place. Imposter syndrome is reaching the top of the mountain, looking left, looking right, and thinking, any minute they're going to call me out and realize that I don't really belong here. When it comes to practicing clinically, imposter syndrome can rear its ugly head, but this can also happen when it comes to applying for new jobs, stepping into leadership positions, joining committees, or even when making shifts within your life and career. Even the most accomplished clinicians can be plagued by imposter syndrome. It doesn't matter what you've done, what specialty you work in, or how technical the procedures and medicine you are performing become, because imposter syndrome actually has nothing to do with your specific experience or qualifications. When imposter syndrome flares, your confidence and your inner voice are under attack. It can impact your choices, your productivity, and it can have a significant influence on the course of your life and your career. So imposter syndrome is this psychological phenomenon. And even though I'm not a psych PA, I'm going to work to do it justice as a part of this episode. How I have over time overcome that inner voice telling me you're not good enough or 
Who do you think you are? So I want to share a little bit about my own personal and professional experience with imposter syndrome and some strategies and a little bit of evidence-based research for how you can combat imposter syndrome from some valid sources plus my own experience. As a provider, I want you to have the tools you need to step through that annoying self-doubt and do the things that you are destined to do in your career and for your future patients. This episode will serve as a launchpad, a reminder of how to recognize your own imposter syndrome and start diagnosing the source and stepping into your strength as a provider. So here's what it can look like. There are many ways that imposter syndrome can feel, seem, and show up in your life. For me, I was able to call myself a surgery PA immediately after school. So I graduated, I took the boards, I grabbed onto that dash C at the end of PA, and I stood seemingly in confidence trying on my full-length lab coat with relative confidence. I actually felt very comfortable and confident graduating and taking the boards. But without that constant reassurance of multiple choice tests and end of rotation exams, and yes, you passed, yes, you're doing well, the pants exam, all of those things, if you're succeeding, if you're triumphing, if you're learning the material and getting the grade that you need to pass, it's constant positive reinforcement about your abilities. So once I, that like constant positive reinforcement went away, I began to question my own abilities. Since I became the PA and like a real live practicing PA, and I walked through the doors at my first position, I realized the weight of all of the decisions that I made during the day. I understood that orders that I placed were no longer a trial run. No one was checking my work and it was real. And this was real life. This was real patience. This was the real deal. If I ordered a CAT scan or a milk of molasses enema, a tech would do the scan or a nurse would administer the enema or medication that I ordered. Holy shit. This is not practice anymore. I am not a student. This is not a trial run. There is no more dress rehearsal no more short coat, no more preceptor checking my work, no more teacher grading my exams. Didn't I just earn a degree that I had earned through my blood? Thankfully, very little blood was shed, sweat and tears. Hadn't I survived, nay, even thrived throughout my rotations, except the ER <laughs> where I barely scraped by and passed the end of rotation exams proving to the world and to me that I was competent, that I was able to be a PA and do this thing that I had been striving for for the last nearly 10 years. So why didn't I feel like I had earned it? Why was I questioning whether I truly belonged in this hospital, wearing these scrubs, donning this long lab coat, and being looked at to make diagnosis and treatment plans for my patients? I was comfortable with theoretical clinical medicine questions and clinical scenarios because in those scenarios, the incorrect answer meant study more or learn this material. In real life, inside of clinical practice, the incorrect answer could have been significant and profound with negative results if it was the wrong answer. People who are experiencing imposter syndrome sometimes feel like they just scraped by, 
Like they got to the place they are simply by luck alone. And that's a little bit of how I felt. Truly, I knew logically that there was no way to just guess correctly that many times on exams in school, let alone to pass the national certification boards based on pure luck. Logic, however, is not really a part of imposter syndrome. When you feel like an imposter, it's not for a logical reason. It's almost always an emotional reason that's rooted in self-doubt. It kind of felt like any moment, everyone from the hospital administrators to my nurses, to my patients, to my attending surgeon would realize that I was a fraud. The interesting part of this first bout of imposter syndrome was that I didn't feel like a fraud all the time. This feeling of being an imposter, of not really belonging, it came and went. There were times when I actually felt quite confident in my clinical skills and abilities. And there would be a difficult patient or a hard case or a negative surgical outcome and bam, hello, there is imposter syndrome again. Or maybe your imposter syndrome has stopped you from taking a step to get into a new specialty or apply for a job before you even started the process. Maybe the story in your mind sounds like I'm not good enough to do the things I've dreamt of. Or something like, in order to work in XYZ specialty, you have to have certain qualities, and I simply don't have them, that it creeps into your mind. Once that happens, you stop before you're even willing to try. So I shared a little bit about what imposter syndrome looked for me like for me professionally. I knew I wanted to be a PA very young, so I graduated PA school when I was 23. I got married when I was 24 and immediately became a stepmom to two young boys. They are now an adult and almost an adult. So this was over 10 years ago, but an area in my life where personally I felt imposter syndrome was as a stepmom. I remember so vividly going to elementary school concerts for the boys and meeting Dan there and sitting amongst the crowd and looking around and seeing that all of the parents or most of the parents were significantly older than me. So my husband is a few years older than me and I was young to be a mom or a stepmom to a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old, which is how old Zach was at this time. Because if I had been a mom to a 10-year-old, I would have had to have him when I was like 14. That was not the path that my life took. So I was looking around and seeing middle-aged or older than me. I don't even know that I would call it middle-aged at this point, but like moms and dads who were in their 30s or some of the older ones were in their 40s. And I was solidly in my early 20s. And I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I wasn't mature enough. I felt like I had absolutely no idea what I was doing as a mom. I had a hard time finding the line of strict enough that the boys respected me and saw that I was a parent and not just some friend in their life and flexible and open enough that I realized that it wasn't this like authoritarian hard line of parenting, which isn't really my style, but I think sometimes I overcorrected because of this imposter syndrome. The interesting thing is once I had a baby, I was no more qualified to be a parent than I had been as a step parent, but there was something in my mind that once I 
had the baby felt like, well, this one's <laughs> this one's mine and my stepchildren are absolutely mine and I love them immensely. But I think there was something about my brain chemistry that felt like, okay, now I'm a mom. Now I'm old enough to be a mom. Now I'm biologically a mom. Now I'm physically a mom. Now, and it changed the way that I step-parented my kids after my little ones were born. And I think that I made a lot of mistakes out of fear, out of that self-doubt, out of that imposter syndrome as a stepmother, as a young, immature, inexperienced stepmother, and also as a young, immature, inexperienced PA. Now that may be different than your lived experience, but that has been mine professionally and personally. There are still days clinically as a PA that I wonder what I'm doing and if I'm qualified and I worry about patients and outcomes and decisions. And there are also days as a parent where I wonder about decisions and outcomes and am I doing the right thing for my kids and for this specific situation that we are in. So I want to talk about imposter syndrome and women. This will come as no surprise to the listeners who identify as female, but when psychologists first described and identified this idea of imposter syndrome, they actually thought it only happened in women. I am not surprised by this at all. As women, we face this perfect storm of pressure to do all the things at work and at home, to be all the things and to do it without flaw or faltering or questions or uncertainty. We feel the need to be a clinical provider who makes no mistakes, who steps into leadership positions with confidence, but not bitchiness, who rocks at work, who is a perfect mom, wife, friend, and homemaker, and a loving partner. Honestly, I'm exhausted just saying that sentence. The way that we feel worth as women is intimately related to the way that we exist at work and relative to those in our lives. We feel worthy because of what we do and who we serve, not because of who we are. And then there is our old friend comparison. It's been said loudly and repeatedly that comparison is the thief of joy. Yet here we are comparing ourselves to those around us in life and on the internet and on social media. We see our friends or friends of friends or people we used to be friends with or downright strangers sharing about their career, clinical, and life accomplishments on the internet. It's incredibly easy to feel like we're not worthy of anything when we hold up our life, our career, and our relationships, the ones that make us feel a little bit like a fraud on the inside as compared to this highlight reel of others' lives and accomplishments. The younger, newer, probably more immature and green version of Tracy would feel more discouraged when I saw all of those accomplishments, titles, job changes, promotions, leadership positions of those around her. Because who I am, so because I would like say things like, who am I? I'm just trudging along in my new career, battling this dragon of self-doubt in my mind every day while everyone else around me is racking up accolade after accolade. Imagine if I had stopped there, if I had let the pressure of others' moves and achievements stop me before I even started, before I made job changes or pressed record on the very first episode of this podcast. 
I don't know. And I don't really even want to think about what my life would look like if imposter syndrome had taken the wheel and had been in control of the future and my career choices. I felt super like an imposter when I recorded my first podcast episode. I don't even want to tell you how many times I had to retake and retake and retake because I would stumble over one word and think, oh my gosh, they're going to know that I don't know what I'm doing. They're going to be able to tell that this is my first episode. They're going to know that I don't have a radio voice and that I have no idea or no good advice to give at all. As with any diagnosis that we make with a patient, the first step in identifying imposter syndrome in ourselves is simply knowing that exists. Furthermore, it's also important to understand why imposter syndrome exists. We have self-selected as healthcare professionals to be driven achievers who want to accomplish big dreams, who want to do big things, whether that comes from an internal driver or external pressure that drive inside us or what our family and friends and society thinks that we will achieve. And if you are measuring your ability to achieve against others, you're going to end up not feeling great about yourself. So you've identified that sometimes you question whether you belong in this place that you are in. You question whether you should take up as much space as you are, or less, or more. And you realize that imposter syndrome is part of being a provider, of practicing clinically, and the fact that working in medicine is as much of an art as it is a science. So here's what you can do to overcome imposter syndrome. I want you to focus on owning your title in the position that you are in. I want you to focus on taking up space where you are because you've earned it. In fact, you've more than earned it and you've put the time and energy, the learning and the clinical practice in. You need to own that title. Take a moment to write down your title. Bonus points if you do this on pen and paper, but you get full credit for using the Notes app in your phone too. And start a list. Write down your name and a comma and those letters that you have earned so diligently in school and certification. But don't stop there. I want you to think about what you do. Surgery, emergency, critical care, outpatient medicine, a specialty. What do you do with those letters behind your name? Claim both your title, your credentials, and your specialty in bold letters and with confidence. Then I want you to make three bullet points and answer the questions. Who do you take care of? How do you serve them? And how are they better off for having seen you? One of the most powerful ways to combat imposter syndrome is to know clearly the role that you play inside of medicine. No one is expecting you to know everything about everything. Actually, I should say no one but you is expecting you to know everything about everything. When you clearly define your area of expertise, the way that you take care of patients and how you serve those patients, you remind yourself of the place and space that you fill inside of clinical medicine. Understanding that role and feeling more confident about answering those three questions about who you take care of, how and why they are better off after seeing you will make you feel less and less like a fraud. Don't add caveats or areas that you're struggling in or disclaimers. Keep these answers and these bullet points succinct and simple and state as a matter of fact what you do. 
The next way to combat imposter syndrome is to stop saying once, then, anymore. You know those statements like, once I've been here six months, then I'll feel comfortable taking care of this type of patients. Or once I feel confident and never question my clinical decision-making, then I'll be a real oncology PA. Does that sound like something that you've said to yourself in the past? Constantly moving the finish line of your confidence further and further and further away. Have you made one of those once then statements in your head? When you're growing in your confidence as a provider, especially in a new space or role, it's natural to want to give yourself goals and benchmarks or metrics to quantify your confidence, your progression, and your abilities. I want you to try to reframe your once-then statements to am because. Instead of saying, once I feel confident and never question my clinical decision-making, then I'll truly be a real oncology PA, you can rewrite that sentence to be, I am a real oncology PA because I care enough about my patients and I am willing to learn as I go, check my work, and continually improve my patient care. There is, in this second statement, no benchmark, no challenge to your confidence or competence. The second statement, instead of starting with once, it starts with I am. It brings in the reason why you do what you do, and it reminds you that you are able to take action, to learn more, and to improve your skills and clinical abilities. This way of sort of moving the benchmark forward, setting the goal and achieving it, is the way that our education is structured. First this, then that. Learn subject A and then subject B. Once you've established your abilities with certain materials and skills, then you're ready to move on to the next topic, subject, or unit. But that's not exactly how it works in clinical medicine, is it? It's not linear. It's not first you learn X and then you learn Y. So let's stop trying to measure our clinical competency and success by the same ruler and rubric that we used in school. You aren't going to get feedback in clinical practice in the same way you did as a student. But I want you to remember this. If you have one patient that you've taken care of, you are a provider. Let's master the mindset and remind ourselves that doing the darn thing, even with a little bit of doubt, still means that we are doing it. The problem that comes with those benchmarks, that moving target, those goals, is that when we have them, we keep raising the bar and raising the bar. We keep moving the finish line further and further ahead of us, propagating the myth that we're telling ourselves that we don't belong and that we aren't confident and that we cannot succeed. When we do that, we continue to discredit our success and all that we have learned because we're chasing the next milestone, the next landmark, the next goal or clinical competency. By focusing forward on all the things that we haven't yet learned, perfected, practiced, and mastered, we're not giving enough weight to all the things that we have already learned and can do with confidence. This moving target mindset is a setup to send us back into imposter syndrome and spiral into self-doubt and distrust of your clinical abilities and accomplishments again. 
and again. If you only take one sheet of paper to your next negotiation, let it be the PA Pay One Sheet. It's a tool designed to walk you through setting up the ideal outcomes, assessing the situation you are negotiating in, and it even includes a reminder of which negotiation skills you can use. Stop what you are doing. Download the One Sheet. Print it out fill it out, and literally bring it to the table with you when you are negotiating next. It's designed specifically to work in healthcare settings wherever you are. You can use the PA One Sheet to get the best deal, the biggest raise, and to help your confidence walking into your next negotiation. Head to www.tracybingaman.com one, that's O-N-E, to download your free copy of the PA Pay One Sheet and start prepping for your next negotiation today. It's linked in the show notes, but in case you missed it, it's at www.tracybingaman.com O-N-E. I'm issuing you a challenge when it comes to the way that you see those around you and their practice of medicine and their clinical competence and competence. No one is perfect because those people around you are just that. They are people too. Even if they're physicians, even if they're more experienced with patients or in your particular specialty than you are, those people are not perfect. They have doubts, but just like your doubts, their doubts are on the inside. As I said before, it's called practicing medicine for a reason. You're practicing and you are doing the best you can with the knowledge that you have. Basing your decisions on evidence, working to connect with patients and get them on board with their medical decisions and plan on going. Today, you practice, and tomorrow, you'll evaluate and work to improve your skills. Of course, we are basing our diagnosis and treatment on evidence, the latest resources at our disposal, at our disposal. but then there is this art of practicing medicine, the human connection, the ability to connect with our patients, to get them to trust and share with you. This art of medicine is harder to quantify. It's softer. It's more intuitive. This can leave the art of practicing medicine as an area of vulnerability for imposter syndrome or an opportunity for confidence in your abilities and softer skills. No one is perfect. Even those who appear to be thriving around you have their own doubts. And because we're practicing medicine and in a landscape that is constantly changing with new data, new evidence, new studies, it bears stating, just because you own your title and step into your confidence as a provider and in your role or specialty, it doesn't mean that you need to know everything. No one has all the answers. In fact, I want you to admit to yourself that you don't have all of the answers and that is okay. That's what it's like being a human being, providing medical care to other human beings. There are red herrings. There are zebras. There are idiopathic, idiopathic things that happen. There are things that we don't yet understand how they work or what to do for them. There are therapies that have yet to be invented and treatment strategies you haven't yet learned about. There are new interviewing techniques that you don't know yet. If you're faced with a question, a patient, a diagnosis, a disease process that you don't know about yet, that's okay. You have permission, mine and yours, 
not that you need it, to be a constant student of medicine, to be learning ongoing, to be discovering new skills of yours, understanding new diagnosis, and leaning into your own strengths and abilities. Practicing medicine, stepping into leadership, trying new positions is about starting with imperfect action and using your knowledge base and learning and improving over time. You have a wonderful, amazing knowledge and base of clinical gifts. I'd hate for you to hide that ability from the world. There are patients out there that need you. Don't let the possibility of not knowing every answer to every question, every diagnosis, and exact treatment plan hold you back from reaching your full clinical potential. I challenge you to do your best, but not aim for perfection and to be open to continually learning. Get comfortable with saying, I don't know, in response to a patient's question, to look things up, to investigate and do further research, to ask for help and to learn new things along the way. That is how you grow as a person and as a provider. Those I don't knows and the research and learning that comes after is where you grow. Growing in clinical knowledge and confidence is what helps you to overcome imposter syndrome. With every new answer, every new research paper, learned fact, specific technique or approach that you learn, you'll be walking in the right direction. New questions will arise. They always do. New patients, situations, specialties, and challenges will crop up. Trust me, hard questions never stop cropping up because just because you don't already know the answer, that doesn't mean that you're an imposter. Simply because it's a new situation you haven't encountered before doesn't mean you need to doubt yourself. It's also not your job to convince others in your life that you are confident and clinically competent or that you have the ability to do your job well. It's your job to lean into learning and to grow into your confidence to help you overcome the imposter syndrome. Your confidence is contagious and improving your confidence will in turn help those around you to see your competence and clinical ability. You'll know that your clinical abilities, your learner's attitude, and your willingness to get better over time is worth it. The patients you're taking care of today and next week and next year will benefit from that growth and confidence. Everyone, at times, feels like a fraud. Like they're an imposter inside of their own world and life and job. Imposter syndrome shows up in different ways at different times for different people, but imposter syndrome is deeply rooted in our achievement-mindedness while we walk towards our biggest dreams and career goals. Chasing those dreams, stepping into new roles, and changing places inside of medicine comes with fear and occasional uncertainty. Don't let those things stop you before you even get started. That is all for today. Until next time, this PA is out. Congratulations, you've just joined an awesome club. By listening to a full episode of the PA is in, you are officially on the Unicorn PA team. Welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episode of the show. The life of your dreams exists on the other side of taking action. Keep making small shifts and keep getting better. 
your life will improve, your career will soar, and you will have the confidence you need to create your own success. I will see you in the next episode. This PA is out.